hey, man, we can actually do that, and that is how I would prefer to be living in future. Um, it's, it's an ideal place um, where all the obstacles to human flourishing have been removed, but it's also an imaginary place. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rikweer Wait. It's been a while since you've heard from me, but it's really great to be back. In this latest episode, I speak with Doris Valjun and Skalk Engelbrecht. We discuss the relevance of utopian thinking. And without further ado, here's the interview. Doris Skalk, welcome on the Wait and Speak podcast. It's great to have you back on the show. Good morning, and it's nice to be here. Thank you, Rick Puyid. Always nice to speak. Fantastic. So, so Doris and Skalk, um, we're here to talk about utopian thinking um, and I think it's an interesting topic, especially around our last year we've had with COVID and all the uncertainties and, and what the future will look like. Um, and both of you have a distinct contribution to make around utopian thinking. Skulk, you, you've done work around this in, in your background is in, in philosophy, of course, and, and Doris, you have the futures, future studies perspective. So I want to ask you firstly um, to Skulk and then Doris, following that to you, um, from from the perspectives of philosophy and, and future studies, how is the, the concept of utopia and utopian thinking understood in each of these disciplines? I, I assume there are some similarities and perhaps um, these two fields are complementary. So I'd like to hear from both of you just around this concept of utopia and, and utopian thinking and, and what we can make of it. Okay, no, um, happy to happy to discuss uh, the queer. Just very quickly, uh, utopia probably isn't a, a philosophical term. Um, utopia, first and foremost, is is a place. Um, it's it's an ideal place um, where all the obstacles to human flourishing have been removed. But it's also an imaginary place, no place. So famously, when Thomas Moore in fifteen sixteen wrote his book Utopia, he he coined a new term. Utopia is a is a play on words. Utopos meaning um, um, good place, but also otopos meaning uh, no place. Um, so first and foremost, it's actually a literary genre and a very interesting literary genre. It's a bit of a subversive literary genre because it allows the narrator um, to 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 tell the story of an ideal society, to criticize existing society, but without having to take responsibility for the ideas. Thomas Moore afterwards can say, I, I'm not saying this is what it should be. I'm just reporting on what I heard. So normally what happens in utopian fiction is a traveler lands up at an island. The island or this different place is an ideal society, completely different from the, the society the traveler comes from. And the traveler gets a gets a, a, a walkthrough, gets a tour of the ideal society and then returns to his own society. Just from a philosophical point of view, what makes this interesting is we've got questions of political philosophy. What what does justice mean? Taking us back to the work, a, a kind of prefiguration of utopia, Plato's Republic. So we can ask, what does the ideal society look like or what is justice in society? Um, but secondly, um, from a philosophical point of view, um, utopia, at least later on, has been associated with the Enlightenment or with modernism, with the idea, the scientific idea that we can know history, we can know reality, we can know the essence of human beings, and we can actually perfect society and we can perfect people. 
and that's maybe why the idea has kind of fallen into into disrepute. But I'll pause there just to give you a bit of idea what what Utopia is about. Thank, thank you, Skalk. Um, and I hear a lot of words come out, and, and I'm going to give Doris a chance first. But I think fiction, and maybe Doris, something interesting around fiction in in the realm of future studies. Is, is science fiction and, and I think thinking about the future. But let me pause there and then hear your perspective. Thanks. Yes, I want to I want to echo what, what Skulk said there and um, this utopian image that is a place and also no place. Um, in future studies, that is exactly what we do. We help people to imagine multiple, multiple plausible futures. And in many cases, one of those futures that we help and try to facilitate is a very utopian one. Now, in the general speaking of people, utopia has this notion of it's an unrealistic dream. No? Um, but in future studies, whatever we try to create and facilitate and think of, our big test for those images is that it must at least be plausible because we are guiding stakeholders, we are thinking with people, and what we're trying to help them to do is to sense what is going on, make sense through creating multiple plausible futures so that they can make change. So in our case, um, we sort of weave in that taking of the responsibility um, to make it plausible because it must be something that you must be able to at least hope to try and achieve. Um, in future studies, um, we're not trying to think when we think of utopian futures, we're not trying to think of the ultimate perfect place. We're thinking of a better place and the better place for the stakeholders that are thinking together. Um, and in future studies, we have movements um, that call themselves by other names, but that are focusing on utopian futures. One is the positive futures movement that are creating narratives and create, doing beautiful things in terms and call themselves positive futures. But then as well, the Institute for Alternative Futures under the guidance of Clem Bezold, they created aspirational futures and a framework to help and facilitate what they call aspirational futures. Doris, I'm going to come back to you um, in just a moment because I think there, there are obviously common themes um, in both both perspectives. But firstly, Skulk, then, um, I think Doris touched on this about what is plausible, um, you know, thinking around utopian thinking what or futures, what is ideal, but also what is plausible. So um, from your side, wh how do you see, how, or rather, how should we balance utopian thinking with the ideas of ra rationality and real realism? Because I think there's different varying degrees of how how far you can stretch utopian thinking and this idea of utopia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we know that the idea has gone through a lot of changes over history. I mean, it started out as this as this new co uh, uh, term coined by Thomas Moore, this ideal place but no place. But today, if you say um, if you say something is utopian, exactly like Doris said, it means that it's a flight of fancy. It's unrealistic. Um, in fact, 
um, there, there's, there's three main criticisms against utopianism. Um, and the first is this idea that it's unrealistic, that it's a fantasy. But but people like Russell Jacoby would say anyone who still anyone who still believes in utopia is either out to lunch, crazy, or out to kill. In other words, totalitarian. And and that's the problem. That was also um, initially the, the the problem. Although we today think of Marxism as a Utopian project, uh, Marx and Engels were very critical of the what they called the utopian socialists, exactly because they said the idea is unrealistic. It's not grounded in actual historical processes. That's the first kind of criticism against utopia. I'm going to come back to that. Just to mention the second and the third. The second and the third is the second thing is is if people believe that if you believe in utopias or if you start a utopian project, it has to end in violence. Utopian thinking is dangerous because it leads to authoritarianism. I think that Roger Scruton said he said you know utopia must either be very vague and nice or it's got to be detailed and nasty. So that's the second problem is people think utopianism is is dangerous. And, and the final problem is uh, what Doris also referred to is this idea that utopianism must be a blueprint, must must see a perfect future that doesn't allow any change. So it's almost finalist. It it imagines a, a historical state beyond history. But so just to come back to your question about this, shouldn't shouldn't we balance utopian thinking with rationality or realism? And here I just want to say two things. First of all, utopian thinking isn't irrational. Okay. In fact, um, it, there's a lot of critical thinking and a lot of organizational thinking in any utopia. There's critical thinking in the sense that every utopia diagnoses current society. It criticizes current society and often very rationally in terms of its own values. So, so we, uh, many of the utopias would say, well, Europe believes in these values, but in in reality, those values aren't really lived. That 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 this idea that it's unrealistic is often ideological. It's it's a way of defending uh, a present by saying that what you suggest is completely unrealistic. But we might come back to that when we talk about some of the utopian ideas we see now, especially someone like Rutger Bregman. But I'll pause there. Thank you, Scott. Um, Doris, from your side, dystopian thinking, um, do you see that as having a balancing role? I think Skulk touched on this idea or some of the critique comes from the idea that utopian thinking is absolute and that it's fixed. Um, but where does dystopian thinking uh, fit into it? And is that perhaps a part of diagnosing um, the problems and how we can move towards um, utopia? Yes. Um, in future studies, we always try to create multiple futures. And just like what we try to facilitate a utopian future, we always also try to facilitate a more dystopian one and a few others. So not just a utopia and a dystopia. And um, it does bring a nice balance. And here we always... Um, when we facilitate the dystopian one, we ask people to not be lazy thinkers because there is a trap in utopian and dystopian thinking. Once you have dreamed up the ultimate utopia, you sort of get lazy and just um, create a dystopia by making it um, 
the, the counter of the utopia, where in a complex adaptive system where, like where we live in society, um, the dystopian future may not just be the exact opposite of the utopian future because everything that was good or worked well now just working in the other way um, may not be what creates the dystopian future. So like what Skolk referred to there, to really go back to those drivers of change, those factors that would be influencing the field and see, well, okay, how could these play out in a different manner to create a, a dystopian future or two or three um, where we have two or three more negative ones and two or three more positive ones, depending on how those factors of change um, play out in different ways over the term that you are imagining, whether it's 10 years, 20, 40, however many years. So what I want to say about dystopian thinking, yes, it does bring the other side. And in my experience, um, people are almost much more comfortable with creating dystopian futures than utopian ones. Um, probably our friends in Hollywood help us with putting images in our heads. So having people imagine um, they already have the pictures in their heads of how bad stuff could go. Um, it's a little bit harder to facilitate people to really imagine how stuff could play out in a much better way. Um, in future studies, we, we talk about memories of the future, those images we have in our heads. And yes, we have vivid images of potential dystopian futures. And as such, as you asked now, it is it brings an important balance because the differences between the utopian futures and the dystopian futures also bring out those real things that we need to do and start making decisions on in the present. Hmm. Thanks, thanks, Dara. So again, it's it's about not having just these two polar opposites, but also a lot of variations in between dystopia and utopia. Um, because it's not always that clear cut. Um, but it's also a good point that you make around um, Hollywood and how we're much more accustomed or, or, or used to kind of dystopian images. Um, and then just on a lighter note, um, I, I started thinking around the Back to the Future movie and movie series and how one change created lots of other changes which they couldn't predict. Um, so there's lots of variations in, in how things can turn out. Um, but I think, Doris, then, while we're speaking on this, how do you see um, the use of utopian thinking how, or how can we use utopian thinking perhaps to address global challenges around, you know, thinking about the future? We have climate change, all these looming, looming things that could create some type of a dystopian outcome. How can we use utopian thinking um, perhaps in a practical way, obviously, to, to try and address um, current challenges, but also to to, to create some kind of action to move towards preventing, um, you know, other, other risks of, of dystopia? I think for stakeholders to get together and dream up, and I mean, if we look at the sustainable development goals, um, that that's one example of, of putting goals or objectives in place based on utopian thinking of we would prefer to buy a certain time, have zero hunger. And then we do what we call in future studies, 
backcasting to say, okay, if we want zero hunger at a certain place in the future, how, how, what are the pivotal events? What are the big things that need to be in place? Or if we want to have um, no more plastic in South Africa by a certain time, or any of those big, big goals that, that we get from the utopian thinking, we then do a little bit of realistic backcasting and put some, some pegs in the sand and say, okay, by that time we will have to have achieved this. We would have had to create systems. Um, one of the nice tools in future studies, a thinking tool, is causal layered analysis. Because when we think about the future and what things could look like, sometimes we could get stuck on the stuff that is easy to measure and easy to see. Those things that like a 3% increase in that or a 2% decrease in that, things that are easy to count. But real change, and when we talk about utopian thinking, what we are really usually talking about is a society sort of re-engineering itself, really putting itself with a lot of effort on a new track towards a different kind of future. And that kind of change comes from way deeper levels. Now, Sahel Inyatula created this, what he called causal layered analysis. It is sort of a model that helps you to think deeper and deeper. So the first, on the, on the periphery, the stuff that you just see are the 3% increase or the 2% decrease. But below that are the systems that are supporting that. Those systems that we create in society to enable or support that increases, decreases, and stuff that we see on the surface. But more important even is what lies below that. And now we get to the people of the earth, their worldviews, their view of what the world is or how it is supposed to be. And then even deeper, the kind of words that we use, the kind of stories we tell about this issue or this thing, and when we do this utopian thinking, we must really um, consider all of those levels because if we really want to facilitate change, we need probably to start way at the bottom, changing the stories we tell, creating those vivid images of a better future in the minds of everybody, Help telling new stories, creating new new words, and that will sort of push against the system so that the systems change, and then we will see the change that we wish to see at the top. Thank, thank you, Doris. So I think you you, you spoke of uh, the the layered analysis, and I think that that's what came out. Um, is obviously this is not something easy to achieve, mm -mm. Um, and obviously all all hard goals. Um, take hard work, but it definitely sounds like there's a lot of of deep thinking that's necessary, and then a lot of process that needs to go into kind of affecting the system and influencing the system and and getting getting change um, to take place. But but Skalk, I want to come back to you then. Uh, Doris touched on this now, um, but how do you see utopian thinking in terms of societal engagement and positive change? How could we use utopian thinking, or perhaps create awareness of utopian thinking and getting people engaged in this type of, of debate and thinking? Do you see that as something 
um, we can do to, to, to promote a positive societal engagement. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know it's a bit of a, it's a, it's an old quote and a very well-known quote, but Oscar Wilde's quote is that progress is the realization of utopias. And if you read some of the past utopias, their reality today, um, Edward Bellamy's looking backward actually projected radio before there was something like, like, like radio. And at that time it was thought of as an impossible fantasy. And today, um, it is its reality. So philosophically speaking, utopia is this tension between between who we are and who we would like to be. And for me, the, 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 there's a couple of things that utopian thinking does. The first thing it does is it's an antidote for the so-called end of history. That idea of Francis Fukuyama, he came up with it in 1989, that, that the way society is now is kind of the high point of history. This is what history has been developing, and we shouldn't imagine a society radically different from the democratic um, capitalist societies that we're in. And today we think we need to we need to move beyond that kind of society because that kind of society um, is proving to be unsustainable. So the first thing it does is it's an antidote to this idea that society can't be different. Secondly, utopia diagnoses our present society. It looks at society and it says, um, this society we're existing in now is, is imperfect um, um, and, and potentially morally um, defunct. And that's why we need um, radical change. And then an, an important part, and maybe this is part of the literature part or the science fiction part, is it estranges us. So if you go through a utopia, if you think through some utopian ideas, then initially it seems completely um, far-fetched or it seems strange. But, but the longer you read a utopia or think about a utopian idea, the more strange and arbitrary our current arrangements look like. And I'll just give you one example just to make it practical. I mentioned Rutger Bregman. He recently wrote a book. He wrote two, actually, but the first one was Utopia for Realists. And he's just looking at three ideas. He's not making a blueprint for a final perfect society. He's saying we've come a long way. The, the, the society we live in now is a land of plenty, but it's time that we push off and 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 move towards a new utopia. And he just mentions three things. The first is a universal basic income, so that so that so that no one um, goes without, so that no one goes hungry. The second one is a 15-hour work week, and the third one is the abolition of of national borders. He says things can move easily across the world, but people cannot. Um, the 15-hour work week idea he takes from Maynard Keynes, the, the economist, but he brings that back and he says, how is it possible that, that our productive system has gotten so good um, and yet we're not working less, we're working more? Um, and, and couldn't we think about how to rearrange the world of work? And those ideas, if you read his book, you'll find what, what I was just mentioning. First of all, thinking, realizing society can be different. Um, diagnosing our current society and this kind of estrangement and this catalyst to change, which is what utopian thinking is all about. Thank you, Scott. Those are that, that's some good examples. Um, while 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 I have you on, um, are there other books you've mentioned? This Utopia for Realists. Are there other books or, or resources that you can recommend for someone interested in in utopian thinking? 
Uh, well, definitely Rutger Bregman's Utopia for Realists, but I mean, you know, maybe this is a bit um, overambitious, but I'd say go back and go read the originals. Go and read Moore's Utopia. Read Edward Bellamy's Looking Backward. Read And then read some of the, I mean, I didn't speak about um, dystopias and anti-utopias. Those are two different things. But go and read Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Um, if you want a more philosophical treatment, then the, the work of a, of a contemporary critical social theorist called Maeve Cook, she's written a book, Redeeming Redemption, where she tries to salvage the utopian moment in critical social theory and shows how we can still retain utopianism without having its violent or unrealistic um, character. Um, and then maybe it's not completely utopian, but I kind of like it. It's uh, a book by Skidelsky and Skidelsky. It's a father and son, a philosopher and economist who wrote a book called How Much is Enough? And they imagine what an ideal flourishing human life would look like and then make some suggestions about how society should look different in order for us to uh, live flourishing lives. Thanks, Scott. That's a lot of um, interesting reading. Um, and, and a great, um, great sources. Doris, do you have anything from the futures perspective um, that our listeners should consider? Yes, on how futurists think or should think about um, utopia. Andy Hines in his blog posts have posted a few things. Um, his blog post is Hindsight, it's like his surname is Hines. So Hindsight, there's a few. So if you just in the search bar type Utopia on his blog, you're going to get what he wrote. Among other things, he wrote a nice review on Utopia for realists as well. And I think then for a bit of lighter reading, Skulk has suggested really meaty, cool stuff. So a bit of lighter reading, Joe Tankersley wrote a book called Reimagining Our Tomorrows, where he write in narrative format, format um, different utopian futures, but very realistic stuff that when you read it, like what Skulk explained just now, you read the story, and if you then let it cook or render a little bit in your mind, you think, hey, man, we can actually do that, and that is how I would prefer to be living in future. So um, it's nice narratives, not too heavy reading, but it's going to do something great to your mind. So Reimagining Your Tomorrows by Joe Tankersley. And then I think just for good measure, maybe we should watch Black Panther again. Um, <laughs> just to remind us, you know what? Africa could be another place. We have a lot of stuff and a lot of potential. Fantastic. Thank, thank you, Doris and, and Skalk. I think um, one, one positive outcome, if listeners just hear all the, all the wisdom you've shared today, is it'll get them um, thinking around the future differently and around utopia. And, and, and Doris, this last example as well about reimagining um, our future. I think that's it. The title of the book itself um, is, is fantastic. So, Doris and, and Scott, to both of you, thank you so much um, for being on, on the podcast today. I really enjoyed the conversation with you, and thank you for sharing um, your insights and ideas. Thanks. It's always nice to talk to you. Thank you, Requeer. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. Also to you, Doris. Yeah, thanks, Scott. It was nice to share thoughts. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.